Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I am Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling, as always, is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hey, Patch. How's it going? It is good. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Good to talk about this wonderful show that we are deep into in its first season. And keeps getting better. It keeps getting better, yes. I don't think there's been a bad episode, although... I did say last episode that if anything tops episode five, I will probably go bananas. So maybe there'll be bananas tonight. Who knows? It's, yeah. yeah. It, anything is possible with, uh, with Ted Lasso. So we're in the sixth episode entitled Two Aces. And I think before last episode ended, we made our predictions. I said there was going to be some poker involved. You mentioned that it could be referring to both Jamie and to Roy. Although I think I need to correct you in that Roy is not really an ace. He's really more like a nine of hearts at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, oh, these are two star players or main character players, so maybe they're the two aces. But up until this point, the story has focused on their relationship right. on the team side. Outside mm-hmm. of the team, there's certainly a lot of other characters, but as, uh, as far as the players go, they're the ones we've really uh, gotten to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and not mince words and get right into it. Um, We'll go ahead and let me just get your thoughts. Uh, Was this a solid episode for you? It was very solid and it introduced a new character. We got a lot of movement with uh, the relationships with these characters. So yeah, there was a lot going on here, but in a really good way. I agree. I think overall, when you mentioned last episode, there were some changes in mm-hmm. relationships. I think we got an expansion of the cast at this point. We got to know a few of the other cast members, even if in a little bit, but also a little bit more expansion of the main characters that we're starting to fall in love with. So not as good as episode five. So <laughs> just going to say it now, but it was really good. Yeah, no Back to the Future references in this episode. So that's that's a, a little bit of a, a detractor for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the bonus. I think that put it over the top for me. So so the episode opens up very quietly in Ted's flat. I made sure to, in my notes, put the word flat and not apartment because we're in England. Yeah. So we got to make sure to do that. And uh, this is really kind of a, a delicate moment. You know, he's taking off the ring. I feel like he's sort of taking the first steps. We haven't really talked a lot about the music in the series. I think it's been really good. It's been useful in the parts that it's been used. As I've been watching, I've tried to pay more attention to when it's used, when it's not. And I think in this moment, the the music was really appropriate for how Sudeikis really sort of emoting, not saying anything, takes the ring off and puts it in the little tin that sits next to his bed. Yeah, it's a, a somber note and it picks up obviously right where the last episode left off with him saying goodbye to his wife and his son and clearly moving on or trying to move on from his wife and and letting her go mm-hmm. and so this is a bit of a a sad scene to kick off the episode but it's also a scene about him about him moving on and it mm-hmm. cuts right into him kind of running into work 
and he's he's late and he's he's decided to walk to work and he's all flustered and he's having trouble putting his sweater on he just like can't it's all twisted and so it's a really interesting scene because he's always the one that is so well spoken and calm and cool and collected right and so for the first time in a public environment he's really not together at all and there's even a a funny moment (laughs) where where nate says to beard is he all right no, <laughs> he's not. And it's a, it, yeah. So it was interesting, kind of cold open sequence uh, for this episode. Well, and one of the thing that I I noticed was that there he goes again, filling in those gaps. He never let Beard or Nate respond. And while it was funny, it is sort of the more extreme version of Ted. So if Ted yeah. gets nervous, he'll talk more. And then when he's really uncomfortable, he does not stop. Right. Like you think he talks a lot normally. This is like Ted on steroids. Right. And and he's processing. I, I get that. So there's there's nothing. I'm not critiquing him or, or calling him a bad person, but this is very much in character for who he is. And this is what we call the, the shadow side of that person who is somewhat of a wordsmith, someone who knows how yeah. to kind of massage a room with his lyrical tongue. One thing I do want to point out in this particular scene is you mentioned him putting on the sweater, trying to, trying to get dressed and trying to get changed as he's talking. I I really wanted to call attention to how wonderful this is, this technique of being able to choreograph the ability to change clothes or to do a wardrobe change of any kind while you're talking at some point, sit down and watch white Christmas. There is this fantastic scene with the two male leads where they are finishing a show and they are talking about a number of different things, settling down, having kids, what's life going to be like after show business. But if you watch them, the choreography of them moving back and forth and changing their clothes and being able to do that without feeling like it's a distraction is really great. And I was reminded of that when I watched Ted fumbling around, we see that the sweater's on backwards, but he doesn't obviously and the ability for Jason Sudeikis to continue having dialogue, keep that rhythm going, keep that energy, and then to eventually, in a hilarious way, rotate the sweater to where it fits. And I think that's a lost art in a lot of ways, Adam, because we don't see that kind of physical display of comedy, not just for laughs, but for that combination of being able to dialogue and do something physical at the same time. It's really difficult to block that, to choreograph that. I mean, it's choreography. We may not think it is. We may think he's just fumbling around, but I would imagine that based on the way that the words, the the script is written, at some point, he's told your sweater needs to be back around where it is by the time you get to this line. So the ability to do that, I think, without making it feel like it's obvious or, or feel like it's scripted, is something to really pay attention to. Yeah, and it would be a funny scene if we didn't feel so bad for Ted <laughs> because we know what he's going through. So because we know, as the audience, obviously Nate and Beard kind of know what's going on, but we they didn't see the scene that we just saw, right, of him taking his ring off and understand kind of what's been going on in his brain. He's going through a lot, and we're feeling for him, and we can sort of – we feel uncomfortable for him, right? We We can see he's kind of – sweaty and it's a rough scene to see ted in in this type of state but uh but it it kicks off the episode really well and and i have to admit also i've never seen white christmas i need to watch it now 
Well, homework, homework. <laughs> yeah. Should I wait till Christmas time? You or? can. I, I'm going to remind you at Christmas. You have so to, yeah. if we're recording at Christmas, I will tell you offline. So we're not isolating our episodes on when we actually <laughs> record these. I've seen so many classic Christmas movies. How have I missed? Maybe I saw it when I was little, but no, don't remember it. It's a, know. it's, it's, I say it's a classic because it is, yeah. but it's also one that. Well, I know the music, obviously. I know the, <laughs> it's. What's that song that's sung in that yeah, movie? Is I, it's, it? What is it? A White Christmas. That's right. That's, that's, right. What it is. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the episode moves forward. We're in the press conference. Um, of course, the big question is, is Jamie going to start next match? Uh, this is pretty straightforward. We have a couple of you know funny moments with Trit Krim, the independent. And he asks a great question, a valid question. Are you going to bench Jamie? Ted essentially says, well, that's really up to him. It's weird that Jamie's in the press conference. He's in the back. He and I know why he is, but that's not normal for a player to do that. But I also get yeah. why, because it, it creates this great kind of, oh, he's hearing what Ted's saying, and he's kind of frustrated with that. And of course, then he leaves. And then we're in a conversation with Ted and Rebecca in the hallway. I'm starting to believe that some of the best conversations in the show take place in the hallway. <laughs> the ones with, uh, with Keely and Roy last episode, and now this one with Ted and Rebecca. I thought the whole bit about the word plan losing its meaning. I mean, we all do this. We all hear a word in our head and we say it so much that we're like, hmm. I said plan too many times. Words lost all its meaning now. Plan, plan, plan. And then yeah. Rebecca's going off like, plan. No, plan. 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 Like flan. Plan. Flan? That dessert? Yes, like flan. Yuck. And it's, it's just really, really funny. But it, there's also some great exposition about jamie being on loan and i think we got a hint of that maybe in one of the first two episodes but this is where it's sort of front and center you know jamie he's on loan from manchester city to afc richmond we get that information that of course sort of sets up what we come to find out becomes an interesting crux at the end of the episode which we'll get right. to but uh but yeah this is where we we find out about that and then we're in ted's office where beard comes through with the definition of a word becoming a sound. I did not know this semantic satiation. Gosh, now I can't even say it. See, and it's word, that word's <laughs> yeah. going to become a sound. I didn't know it either. So, so kudos to Beard. We're learning things. Beard. Yeah, it's, it's education. <laughs> Beard's teaching us all. <laughs> and then um, we have Ted confronting Jamie about yeah. not being able to practice because he's hurt. Yep. Yeah, this is a an important scene because um, Ted really hasn't confronted Jamie like this yet. He's, you know, stood up to him a little bit. He's tried to work on him and work on his relationship with Roy and also through Keely when they were dating. But this is the first time that clearly what's going on in Ted's personal life is, is coming through. But what I wanted to say about this scene that really was interesting to me, Patch, is that it employs a rare Dutch angle, which is something the show has never done before. It's a, and I noticed a, that. Yeah, it's a tilted shot that was first used by German expressionists in the 20s. And it's 
it's obviously meant to employ tension in a scene and it really works well here and they don't get real creative with the camera work in the show very often and so it really stood out to me that they chose to to really tilt the camera at a really extreme angle when Ted's confronting Jamie in this scene so it, it's look for that and if you're re-watching the show or watching it for the first time it's a really interesting use of the camera in the scene oh man I I that I picked that up on this viewing and I was like wait a minute is that to show dominance is that to show Ted's the boss because that's kind of the the angle metaphorically that yeah. I picked up on yeah. literally picked up on and I thought that was fantastic. That I didn't know that that was what it was called, the Dutch angle. Yep. Yeah, because it started with the Germans in uh, the 20s and their expressionist movement. So it was Look very common in a lot of those, uh, those early films. A lot of silent films employed this type of camera angle. And it's been The used. Germans bring us good things. Yes. <laughs> and it's been used throughout, you know cinema history and all types of films it's but you know you'll see it in almost every genre at some point but yeah yeah it's it's if it's used well though you don't even notice it's happening and that's kind of what happened the first time i saw this episode i didn't notice it because you're so in the heat of the moment of the scene and what's happening with the with the characters you're not really paying attention to that the 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 artifice of the scene but as we Mm -hmm. as you as we dig in a little deeper on this watch it's those those are the kind of things i love noticing yeah before we leave the scene did you pick up on what ted's little speech was an allusion to at all no i didn't know this either until i rewatched this season this is actually a an almost perfect replication of alan iverson's press conference back in i think 2008 where he's being asked about missing a practice at a basketball game and he he keeps saying you guys are talking about practice i'm the franchise player and you're talking about practice why are you talking about practice i thought this was just really great writing turns out it's actually ted replicating the speech but what's funny is when you watch it and if you don't know that it really captures that frustration that Ted feels because he ends the scene by saying, since you're hurt, why don't you set up the cones for the second team? And the scene ends with the team sort of dissing Jamie. Like yeah. he has been taken down two or three pegs. And I think this is one of the first times and the first steps that the team as a whole is starting to feel cohesive. Now the win before in the in the match before, probably help that but i think that even the way jamie tries to get either colin or one of his minions to help set up the cones he's like no (laughs) it's for you you're supposed to do that and then the scene ends with roy kind of making some kind of dig at jamie before we move on Uh, and i love that yeah he's really gloating here he's just like oh yeah that's got a sting so then the episode takes us to the pitch and probably the most energetic part of the episode, we have the introduction of, yes, Danny Rojas. Man, I want to be <laughs> able to say that so perfectly every time I think about oh. Danny Rojas. I absolutely love, love, love his energy that he brings to this episode. What a fantastic way to introduce a new character. I guess this is the, well, we find out that he is one of the two aces that Ted yes. refers to. In uh, in a little scene later on, we'll get to. But yeah. man, I, I tell you, Adam, the 
the way that we get introduced to him, he is so enthusiastic. You could tell he just loves playing the playing the game. I love seeing how Jamie sort of looks at him and says, "Yeah, guys that are all talk like that are really they're pretty crappy. They're probably not great <laughs> right. players." And then this is where I think the the camera work for the football side of things is really effective. I think I mentioned this last episode that the the scenes on the pitch leave a lot to be desired, but during training these closer, tighter shots, the tracking shots are really good. And we see Danny running down, he passes it off, and then Sam does a does a cross and he scores. And what's really interesting about that moment is that we hear Danny say, fantastic cross or a beautiful cross, Sam. And it's so good because it's such a contrast to what Jamie does. I mean, it, the same result happens. Right. The really good player scores the goal but he acknowledges the fact that that cross or that pass or that teammate is equally as important as the, the goal being scored. And I thought, man, this is, this is fantastic. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to love getting to know Danny Rojas. Yeah. He's clearly a team player. Unlike Jamie, who thinks he's the star and everyone should be there to back him up and make him look better. But Danny is, is a, it's just a positive. He's, he's not too dissimilar from Ted in a lot of ways, <laughs> just in, just different in the way he, expresses himself he's constantly kind of singing his name as he comes out onto the pitch it's like denny 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 you know it's so it's so uh adorable almost to, to, to hear the way he he just loves not just football but he loves life in general i actually knew somebody like this growing up he had a very similar vibe just like he was just always positive always happy like he never had a a bad thing to say about anyone or or about anything and it was just he was a really nice guy to be around this is in high school Anyway, I, I just think I like people like this, and he's a great character. And clearly the team, as you said, they all really like him. Even Roy <laughs> seems to think he's a pretty great player. But, of course, this just makes Jamie even more upset because he was clearly benched, pulled out of the game, uh, out of the match in the last episode. So this is the last thing he wants to see. He doesn't want to see some new new guy come on that's perhaps almost as good, if not as good as he is in the sport. Yeah. It's, it's a threat more yeah. than anything else. And it doesn't help when Roy comes over to him just before the scene ends and says, Did you see that? I can't really tell, but it seems like he's very good. <laughs> Cheers again. Yeah. So just another dig, another Roy dig yep. at Jamie. Yeah. Roy's having a lot of fun. This episode gloating, just kind of, you know, turning the knife whenever he has the opportunity with with Jamie because uh finally Roy has the upper hand with with Jamie because Ted's kind of annoyed with him now and right. and not happy with his performance and his behavior so yeah it's it's not a good episode to be Jamie no <laughs> clearly not no <laughs> so as that scene ends we get back into Rebecca's office Keely comes in and she's giving Rebecca these updates on the endorsements, she's finding out more about these players, which is uh, interesting to her. And I think from a strategic standpoint, it gives her some creativity in terms of, you know, how do we market these guys, which tells me a little bit that Keely's not just going to put beautiful faces for beautiful products. Like she really wants to, seems to want to connect people with things that they would endorse. And I've never endorsed something. I'd like to say that, on my bucket list, I'd love to be able to honestly endorse something, but I don't think I'm in a field, whether with this podcast or something else that someone's going to say, Hey, do you want to advertise like 
men's shampoo or something like that. Right. I mean, I don't know what I would endorse. Maybe Funko Pops. I would definitely endorse Funko Pops. There you go. Lego. Possibly Lego. Yeah, Lego. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Hey, if, if we can get us free Legos, that yeah, <laughs> I will take that. <laughs> I'll endorse Lego all day long. But as she's talking to Rebecca, what we see is she starts getting a little bit more empathetic. She asks how Rebecca's doing. We find out through her conversation with Rebecca that she has, she being Rebecca, I'm saying Rebecca way too much, <laughs> is being <laughs> replaced by Bex that we saw in episode four. So this is obviously a through line that the writers of the show are not ignoring. And we come to find out that the new Rebecca is being called Rebecca and Rebecca is being called old Rebecca. So Keely looks at her and she really says, look, if you need some change of scenery in terms of endorsements, I got you. And she finishes off the scene by saying, you've got this. And if you ever have a moment when you don't have this, call me. So there's this really great balance where Keely recognizes Rebecca's strength, doesn't negate it. She validates it, but also recognizes Rebecca's vulnerability and lets her know you can call somebody. You can, you can reach out to me, but don't think that that's a negation of your strength and who you are, which I thought was a really interesting way to kind of cre- creatively paint Rebecca. Because we know she's strong. We also know she's hurt. And Keely's relationship with her is allowing us to see how she can get into both sides without negating one or the other. And I thought that was really, from a writing standpoint, it was really creative. Yeah, there. this is clearly another great example of both their working relationship and their friendship sort of blossoming and moving forward. And uh, clearly they're they're kindred spirits, if you will. They they are connecting on multiple levels, and and but they're but you know Rebecca, old Rebecca is still reluctant. I think she's still mm-hmm. very guarded, still still keeping Keely even Keely at bay. But Keely, like you said, is trying to to break down those walls as Ted has also tried in in previous episodes. But the effect is a little different, and I know that Rebecca is not trying to spoil. Ted, or excuse me, with her relationship with Keely, Rebecca's not trying to sabotage anything. So obviously there's a lot going on in her relationship with Ted versus her relationship with Keely. And you're right. Both of them are trying to open up a level of vulnerability with her. But I think that she's gravitating towards Keely more, one, because she doesn't have an ulterior motive. And two, there is a, I'm just going to be speculative here as a guy, there's a level of female companionship or camaraderie that I think is allowing for more of that vulnerability. I mean, they have common ground in certain things, but clearly Keeley's approach is motivated in some ways, the same way that Ted's is and wanting to be a friend, but the way Keeley goes about it, the fact that she's probably um, her locality, the fact that she is from that side of the pond. I think all these these small things that yeah. could add up to allow Rebecca to feel like she is in a place where she can feel safe talking to Keely about that. Yeah, and Keely just broke up with with Jamie also, so they're both on the ends, uh, you know, the outs of a relationship. Um, although under very different circumstances, of course, you know, Keely essentially broke up with Jane with uh, Jamie, whereas uh, Rebecca. We don't really know if Rebecca broke up with um, – it, it seems like she was the one that found out about the relationships that 
that Rupert was having and and obviously filed for divorce. But we don't really know the specifics of, of how it went down. But, yeah. you know, clearly the relationship went south because of Rupert's infidelity, not because of something she did. So there is a, a slightly different dynamic there. But, but still, they're both healing. They're in that healing kind of uh, coming back phase post-relationship. And uh, I think that's something, too. It's funny because even Ted, I mean, I don't know how much Rebecca really knows or cares about what's going on with Ted's personal life, really. But he's also having a, 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 an issue with his with his marriage, with his relationship. So it, a lot of characters are, are, are going through similar things in the show right now. Lots of changes. Lots of yeah, changes. lots of changes. Exactly. Those changes continue as we move out to the pitch. And there's that great little one-on-one competition between Jamie and Danny, where yeah. they're both trying to hit the crossbar of the net without actually letting it go in. And it's such a great contrast of these yeah. two individuals who are clearly equally matched in terms of what they can do but their approach to the game couldn't be more opposite. You've got Jamie who looks at it like a job trying to get his position back. And then you have Danny who's like, I just want to compete. I love this. Yeah. There's no hard feelings when he wins. He tells Jamie, great job. And then it's it. And then yeah. we move over to, to Ted and Beard who are watching this. And that's when the two aces yes. <laughs> title of the episode makes its uh, its presence known and that semantic satiation strikes yeah. again aces 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 now that's not like isis i did say isis and it's just it's well, just great it's a great little transition piece i think to yeah. just reinforce what we saw two scenes earlier jamie's disdain danny's great energy and it's exciting to see are these guys going to get along are these guys going to get to play together or is is Danny the new is is he the is he new Jamie or new Danny right. or or, right. two, or Danny two point or Jamie two point Yeah, I love how Ted calls Jamie an ace, but then says he's an ace whose uh, attitude turned him into a seven of clubs. I think that's really 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 great. It's a really great analogy because he is from a skill level he's an ace, but he's not performing and not being a team player. Uh, and I love that they essentially brought Danny in to help turn him back into an ace. But the idea being that Danny is also an ace. So if they can turn Jamie back into an ace, then there, there's, there's the title of the episode. Two there's aces. the two aces. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Ted also had a great line uh, in this scene that I just love. One of his Tedisms where he said, I, I feel like we fell out of the lucky tree, hit every branch on the way down, ended up in a pool full of cash and sour patch kids. <laughs> <laughs> So in reference to having these two players that's what he says when he's excited about the fact that he has two aces it's so, so it's it's just again i don't know how where that comes from i don't know i couldn't pull that out just in a casual conversation but ted lasso can do it it's not something that i've ever heard about no. <laughs> lucky tree or sour patch kids being considered good things in the same sentence so we'll just right. consider it an original tedism exactly <laughs> So we go back inside. There's a quick scene on the treadmill. You've got Roy, and I think he's still reading A Wrinkle in Time. Maybe he's he, rereading it. He, I think he point. is too because it's, it's he's almost at the very end of the book, which he was also at the end when he was reading it to his to his niece in bed in one of the previous episodes. So I think he's going back through it. Like he read it once perhaps to, perhaps to his niece, 
and then he realized as he did he had that revelation that this oh yeah this this is me this is this relates to me inside so maybe he's doing a a reread to really a personal reread to really understand why ted gave him that book <laughs> well, i supposed to be the little girl That's exactly <laughs> And Keely joins him on the treadmill for a walk, which I thought was pretty cute. And right, right. Just there, it's just a continuation of their their back and forth uh, banter, and just kind of expanding that relationship just a little bit more. Yeah, and we learn that Roy does not want to do any PR promotional stunts. That's just not part of his character. And Keely, I think, sees that as as almost a challenge. Like, uh, I, I'm going to find the right thing <laughs> for you <laughs> that you'll want to do. That that that's that, not like you said. That's what makes. Keeley's role uh, important because she really is looking at each individual player, who they are, where they're from, their backgrounds, and she's doing a lot of research into every player and trying to find something that might that might be a good fit and and sort of a, a natural fit for them. Yeah. Then we move back out onto the pitch. Danny, of course, gets hurt going through the cones, and then we're back in the locker room. And this is where we're introduced to the cursed treatment room, which becomes sort of the driving force of the rest of the episode we're getting this explanation from some of these guys and ted's like i can't this is just crazy this is crazy at some point i forget what precedes it or how it's brought up but sam turns to ted lasso or turns to the coach and says coach is it true in america you guys have so many beautiful dogs and pounds that some get put down for no reason and then ted says that is true sam but it's also something a lot of female singer-songwriters are trying to change. And I just thought it's very, it's very funny. It's very funny. Yeah, it's very yeah. true. So Ted indicates that he wants to reverse the curse. And one of the things that I love about him is that he doesn't dismiss what could be considered absurd to one or more people. Clearly, this affects a lot of the players in the locker room on the team. And I think it's really great that he doesn't just brush it off and think we've got to do something different let's not worry about this instead he says let's let's do this let's reverse the curse yeah yeah and and i love that everyone essentially you know whether it's nate or the other other players they all believe and you know higgins they all know this is just a fact that this this room is is cursed uh but roy doesn't he's just you know he, he he just doesn't believe yet when ted says that the two of them should go like look into it investigate further yeah roy's kind of like he instantly replies no no <laughs> and then he says because <laughs> no <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't have a reason he's just not doing it not having it <laughs> good stuff roy Typical is roy. always gonna yeah yeah roy's gonna do roy he's just gonna be him the episode then takes us to the pub where pretty much all of FC Richmond is. And the pub owner is getting nervous because if she, you know, she doesn't want the whole town to find out that there's going to just be craziness. If (laughs) the whole town finds out that FC Richmond is hanging out in her pub. Yeah. He goes, he talks about curses and how he doesn't necessarily believe in curses, but he does know that they don't last forever. Like even the Boston Red Sox cursed, you know, didn't last forever. And, and even Mr. Martin Scorsese, eventually won his Oscar. And then he says something about how, although the departed is not his best work. (laughs) And then everybody chimes in, different people chime in with uh, good fellas or with, um, Oh, Ted thinks the color of money is, is the best, which is very good. It's very good. Yeah. But the funniest part of that for me, Adam is when everybody's getting in a ruckus and Roy yells silence. 
And I, it's so duplicitous. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell if he's trying to get people to shut up or if he's like just throwing in his, uh, his pick for Scorsese's right, best right. part. And I love that the, uh, the bar owner yells out, the answer's mean streets. <laughs> and everyone's yeah. like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, right. Okay, yeah, all right. Mean yeah. streets is <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> because she's always right. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised, though. And Beard says, Cape Fear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is not, I think, universally regarded as one of his best films. Not that mm-hmm. he has any really awful films that I can think of that I've seen. I haven't seen every one of his films, but I don't know. I'm surprised no one mentioned Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. Those are often I know, yeah. like the most sort of influential films of his career in terms mm-hmm. of who, like the films that that obviously made De Niro a huge star and mm-hmm. and have influenced countless other filmmakers. Yeah what, yeah. what what about you? What would you consider to be Scorsese? Oh, well, I think, you know, Scorsese is not one of my favorite directors. He's very harsh, Yeah, but yeah. I love the color of money. So, and, and rightly so, I agree with Ted on pretty much everything that he says. Cause you know, he and I are kind of alike. Um, I really liked it. I did like taxi driver quite a bit. And, but I would say that my, I would of, of the modern era of the last probably 10 years silence is probably one of his best. I think because it feels different from his other ones. Yeah. 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 Like Goodfellas, the Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, there is an edginess to it. Silence is very much a different kind of change of pace. And I don't want this to turn into a Martin Scorsese Not podcast, no, but no. I would, I would say that this is, if I'm going to be in the room with those people silence, I'm going to agree with Roy and I'm probably going to agree with Ted when it comes to, to, to his, uh, his filmography, although I have not seen his whole filmography, so I can't officially say that is his best work. But no, no, it's sometimes yeah, best or favorite. There's that's a very different thing, right? I, mm-hmm. For example, one of the films I've always been drawn to of his is After Hours. It's a rare comedy he made in the mid '80s. Okay, uh, about uh, uh, this guy that kind of gets lost in Soho in New York City in the in and late at night and sort of his misadventures and it's kind of quirky and funny and, and just very different for, for him. But I, I always found it to be really, really enjoyable. So yeah, we all have our, our favorite films from, from various directors, but I, I just thought it was worth bringing up because they spent a fair amount of time in this episode <laughs> debating. <Yes>. This <laughs> was not throwaway banter. No, here. This was legit. Like, Hey, like, let's really see. They wanted to work <laughs> this into the episode. So I thought we could touch upon it as well. <laughs> Pay pay honor, yeah, just yeah. like uh, we get hinted at. Which, speaking of honor, we we get an explanation from the poster that these boys who were apparently supposed to be trying out for the football club were actually uh, coerced into joining the the army for I think World War One or World War Two. Yeah, World War One. Yeah, it was November eighteenth, nineteen fourteen, on the poster. That's yeah, yeah. that's right. And so those boys that came back injured or almost dead, where were they treated? In the treatment room. And the the scene ends with Ted making an offer to not change the past, but to honor it. And right. so he tells everybody, bring something that means something to you to the locker room at like 10 o'clock tonight. And that's all he leaves them with. And yeah. so they're kind of confused, like, okay, what's going to happen here? Yeah, they mention uh, that there were 400 enlisted lads, as they say, that signed up that day. And uh, one one of the players, I can't keep track of all the sort of secondary player names, but one of them says, Wait, wait, wait. What you're telling me is we got 400 ghosts. That's too many ghosts. We cannot fight them all. (laughs) I just thought that was a great 
little uh, back and forth. It's like they're 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 talking about these four hundred ghosts as if they're real ghosts that they have to fight that they have to deal right. with, right? As if <laughs> like they're another they're another team that they right, have to face. Exactly, or that there's too many. Like if there was a hundred, they could handle it, but four hundred that's that's too many. <laughs> that's just, there's a threshold. Yeah. We we can't deal with that many ghosts, so we exactly. have we have our limits. Okay, <laughs> we can do exactly. This. <laughs> Such a great moment. Well, one person who is conspicuously absent from this scene is Jamie. Mm-hmm. And we cut to him next to his really sweet ride, I have to I have to say. And he's meeting with, with Keely. He wants to meet with her because he's struggling. This is kind of a, a rare moment where he's reaching out and trying to get some advice, trying to get some understanding. And there's this great set of dialogue where he wants to talk in the car. And she's like, don't you get it. This is where we had sex. Uh, I'm not going to do that. It's very Pavlovian. And he was like, what's that? He doesn't know what Pavlovian means. <laughs> and, um, but it leads to this really great conversation where he's struggling. He doesn't like what Ted's doing. And he's like, I'm me, this is who I, I'm supposed to be. And I love that Keely validates that. She says, you're a battler, Jamie. It's really hot. But maybe someday you should stop battling the people that just want to help you. And again, I think this is why Keely is such a strong character, because she can validate a person's strength, but also remind them that there is a shadow side to that strength that probably needs to be explored. And that sometimes the things that you're good at probably need to be filtered a little bit in order to be able to bring value to the people around you. And I thought this conversation that she had with him really does bring that out. It kind of gave me a little bit of sympathy for Jamie. Not that I I still think he's a jerk at this point, but I like that one that he trusts her. I like that she's able to be honest with him. Well, we know that she can be honest with anybody because of her conversations with Roy and Rebecca, but I think she knows how to handle people. And maybe that's part of why she's in the industry that she's in because she can handle her clients. She can remind them of what they're good at and what they need to lean into, but also how they can, alter that in a way that's going to benefit not only them, but the people around them. Yeah. And I love how just in her her performance here, how just she looks at Jamie, there's still some, I don't know if you would call it love, but she definitely cares for him still, even though she clearly knows that they don't work together romantically and they shouldn't be together. She still wants him to succeed. She still wants what's best for him and wants him to overcome his demons his problems right and become successful so i i I think that's a really nice thing they didn't just have a really bad breakup and like well case in point rebecca and rupert you know this is a very there's a lot of animosity there between those two so i just i i like it i like that they're continuing to let them interact and have a relationship even though they're no longer dating yeah it shows a maturity yeah or maybe immaturity, depending on who it is. I think it shows Keely's maturity for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think it also shows Jamie's maturity, being able to recognize her value outside of a a physical relationship. Right. So the scene moves to Rebecca's office and Sam comes in inviting Rebecca to the, I think he's called the decursing, or maybe I call it that, but (laughs) he mentions the stereotype of the African guy knowing about curses, but it's really for him because he loves Harry Potter. And then he goes into this little anecdote about how JK Rowling makes more money than the queen. Right. And that's a funny line, but it's sort of comparative to Rebecca where he's impressed more with someone who can carve her own path than someone who's just handed 
success and riches. And I think that that's sort of a flattering compliment indirectly to Rebecca. I mean, I think he's, it's a nice way to connect JK Rowling to, to what he's saying. It's a great little transition, but I think it's his way of reminding her that, that she's valuable. And he even says, Ms. Welton, it's your team. Yeah. Cause she has some hesitation about coming down to the, the decursing. And when I was watching this, I noticed that she said for you, Sam, I will. And then she smiled. Yeah. And I thought, Oh man, is the armor coming off again? I don't mm-hmm. know. I wish it. Like maybe it's Sam to break the armor. Yeah. It's like, you never know what character is going to sort of make that breakthrough. Yeah. Sam had a great line. Like you said, he said, I like the idea of someone becoming rich because of what they gave to the world, not just because of who their family is. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really great moment for us to learn who Sam is, what his character is. And mm-hmm. I, I just like that. I think I like in the show how a, a line like that can tell us so much about a character more than you can in a whole episode sometimes of another mm-hmm. show. Well, now we're in the treatment room with uh, pretty much everybody on the team. I think Rebecca comes in just a little bit later. Yep. And we start getting a little bit more knowledge of some of these, the main characters, mm-hmm. for sure. We find out about Roy's story about his blankie. And he goes, did you call him a blankie? Said, Shut up. <laughs> yeah, and he got scouted at age nine. Wow. <laughs> That's what he says. And let me just tell you, Sunderland, oh. there is actually a great series on Netflix called Sunderland Till I Die. Oh, interesting. And it's oh. about this this uh, football club that gets relegated from the Premier League. And it's I've seen a couple of episodes. I want to finish it, but my wife also wants to watch some of it. And so I have to be careful about just kind of plowing through yeah. stuff. We sort of give each other permission. I may go back and end up watching it. When you have different schedules, sometimes one person just has to has to plow forward because you can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. We still love each other. Catch deeply. up later. No, that was a great scene with, for Roy, I think, because we did get to know a little bit more about him. It was his grandfather that took him and gave him the blanket to keep him warm because he was only nine. <laughs> so clearly he's been playing football, soccer for most of his life. And I, I mean, I think any great athlete would probably say that's the case, right? That they started very young and were encouraged at a young age, especially if they had a skill and a natural talent at that uh, sport. Well, and, and for better or for worse, I mean, that's the case with a lot of talented people is that yeah. they commit early and often. That's their world. Yep. I think there's a great documentary about the rise and fall and rise of Tiger Woods on HBO Max. He started early mm-hmm. and his son is playing at like, I think he's 12 and he's got a pretty fantastic drive so talent is obviously cultivated at a young age that commitment i think is the big question mark for parents and for kids do you want this to be your life right and i know people that are traveling six to seven months out of the year because their kids are playing competitive around the state and around the country and they're not getting paid for that this is money coming out of their pocket Um, i met a parent last year who was coming all the way like two hours away twice a week to be a part of training really for a soccer club. That's got a semi pro minor, the equivalent of like a minor league team here in our capital city. So, I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah, it really is. And hearing Roy's story, I think called attention to that for me of like, yeah, that's not just a British thing. I mean, there are kids all over the world who are really good at certain sports and they, along with their parents are committing to this. 
what does that do? I yeah. think that's a whole different discussion that we don't have time for. No, but I think it's a, it's a good point because you, if you see that, the talent at a young age, then there's that decision like Malcolm Gladwell's book where he talks about you needing anybody, whether it's a sport, whether it's playing a musical instrument, you need 10,000 hours to get great at something. So that's a huge commitment, especially as a young mm-hmm. person, you're pretty much committing 10 years of your life to that and at, at such a young age how do you know if that's really the, your thing right you may not have been exposed to other things yet there might be a different sport that you love even more but you haven't had a chance yet so it's an interesting sort of dilemma i think but ultimately i think a lot of kids just want to have fun first and foremost playing something that they love and we kind of learned that about in this scene we learned that about jamie as well Absolutely. This is a really, really touching moment with him where he puts the boots in the can and he talks about the story of his mom just wanting him to be happy. Right. She doesn't even care if he's good. And he contrasts that with his dad who took off and only started to notice him when he was getting really good. And he really just makes a confession at this point. He said, and this is me paraphrasing. He yeah. said, you know, I'm, I've forgotten about what my mom wanted. And he says, I wonder if sometimes I forget about making her proud. I don't think that she would be lately. And he puts the boots in. Yeah. Very tender moment with him. Something I don't think we've seen all season. I think that that was probably influenced by his conversation with Keely. Go Keely. She's the all-star in this totally. in, in this episode. I think she's the all-star in this one. But it was really, really good. It puts him in a different light for me where we're starting to see that roundedness. He's not, I, I, we talked about this before. He has some kind of motivation for being who he is. And that story about his dad really opened up that, that world for me, me to too. go, okay, so he really doesn't want to be the best. He has to be the best because his dad just completely rides him if he's not tough. Yeah. That if he's soft, he's nothing. And being a team player equals being soft. Exactly. Yeah. And he made this vow to himself. He says that he would be so tough that his dad could never call him soft again. So now we're starting to see, oh, okay, this is why Jamie is Jamie, you know? And so you kind of, feel a little bit bad for him now and realize that maybe he's not such a bad guy. He's a product of his upbringing. And he talks about how his parents, they split up when he, when he, I think he says when he was just a sexy little baby, you know, (laughs) even when he's a baby. (laughs) And so he's clearly, you know, his whole life has, has been, his parents have been uh, separated or divorced and he's, been raised by just his mother essentially and his father was out of the picture until he started being good at something at soccer because he wanted to brag his dad wanted to brag to his his mates about his son and so it's it's an unfortunate thing but it's very it's very honest and and it's surprising that he that like you said that he actually showed up at all yet alone did such made such a vulnerable uh, admission and and gesture in front of the team that clearly doesn't like him that much at this point. 
it's a it's a really powerful scene and 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 the uh, there's some other as you mentioned there's some other really funny moments other other objects that other players and and members of the team put in like Nate puts in a pair of sunglasses that he he was told <laughs> make him look like Clive Owen and in what world Nate looking like Clive Owen it's I don't know how that's possible <laughs> in his world in his, right in here his, in, the head, in, his, in his world in his brain yeah <laughs> and uh what else we oh we have um Richard the French player pours a vial of sand into the trash can <laughs> that he said is where he slept with his first supermodel or something like that. It's just the, ridiculous. Everyone's just like, oh, come on. <laughs> just... But it definitely shows the understanding and what they value. I mean, yeah. it's, we, we laugh because some of these things feel really shallow, mm-hmm. but it, it reminds us that, look, I mean, what would I was asking myself and still can't answer, what would I put in that, in that canister? What would I put in that trash can? I don't know. I don't know either. That's be- a good question. It's, it's a tough ask. I mean, if yeah. you look at if you look at Sam, for instance, he has the Nigerian World Cup team. Right. The, the picture photograph that he's had mm-hmm. his whole life for since yeah. 1994, I think he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and Roy with his blanket. I mean, these, these are things that would be hard to give up. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think, what would I give up? Would it be a guitar? Would it be? I, I don't know. <laughs> and I have a hard time answering that question because not because I'm a hoarder, but because things have meaning, things have value. And we're trying to teach my, our son now that he doesn't have to keep everything in his room, that it's time to kind of throw things away or give things away. And yep. it's, it's a life lesson for sure, but it's hard to give up those things. So I, I understand. Or you regret, like I regret giving up my N64 because I kind of want to go back and play the original GoldenEye. <laughs> You know, right. but I don't right. have it anymore. I got rid of it. So <laughs> this is why these things are have meaning. They 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 have nostalgia and they mean something to us. They they take mm-hmm. us back to a, a happy time in our lives. That's what makes these objects meaningful to us. It's yes, they're just right. objects. We still have the memories, and we'll never lose those. But by putting that object in the cannon, obviously it's going to be lit on fire. You're you're sort of losing something tangible right and maybe for people for younger people today not having physical things doesn't mean as much i think mm. uh, you know because we grew up in an era of physical media right and right. having holding something in your hand uh meant something whether it's a movie whether it's a, a record a video game a, a comic book i mean i still will hold a comic book and smell the paper and be like ah that smells so amazing you know it's like there's something with your senses that are that get stimulated by holding something and feeling something uh but a lot of people today don't have many possessions younger people they're just like yeah i got my computer i got my phone you know (laughs) Uh, everything's digital but you know i think this is an important moment for so many of the players on the team to be able to sort of give up something but also reveal something about themselves and we get the revelation in this scene that Higgins' cat has finally passed yes. on, has not wrecked him emotionally, at least not externally. He's not holding it together. Seen. Yeah, not right. Not at any point that we've seen. But he, it was such a throwaway line in that episode where he talks about his cat being very old, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to wreck him <laughs> when he, when the cat. Which I think the name of the cat is Cindy clawford is that right yeah but you, you gotta say it. cindy clawford there you go you know you say it with the british accent the better better better. Than me. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun and then yeah. ted comes in this is where music is just so 
poignant. It's it's used throughout the the scene. There's an upbeat song where we're doing a montage of all the other players that we don't really know and doing their thing. And then Jamie does his. We've got this nice little, I think it's a piano. I don't really remember, but it's a nice tender piece. And then Ted gets up there. And I remind me, Adam, does he put something in? Ted, I don't think he does, actually. And I think I think that makes sense because he's not part of the curse. It's right. not, I mean, yes, it's his team, but he's the outsider. He, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that was deliberate or if that was something that, you know, what would he have given up? And Beard doesn't either, I don't believe. So the two of them. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Don't. And they kind of stand back. There's a, there's a great moment too, when he's about he like to light a match inside the room. And I love Beard just like, maybe we should do this part outside. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. you're going to pour lighter fluid all over this and light it on fire. <laughs> yeah, let's take this part out to the pitch. And and then yeah. that's a great scene because they do. They light it all on fire. But you see that Ted and Rebecca and Higgins are all kind of standing back, right? They're not – they don't really feel at, at this point uh, connected to the teammates who are all kind of gathered around the fire talking and, cel- and celebrating. But they do – invite Ted over, right? I think I think it's when they kind of surprise the team by saying, let's find out if the if the curse has been lifted. And then they kind of cue Danny Rojas to come. Danny Rojas! Rojas! Yelling his name. Yelling his name without with his leg clearly feeling better. And it's just symbolic, you know, oh, the curse has been lifted. He brings a bottle of alcohol for them to, to, to for him to throw in. But they're all like, no, 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 no. I think I think ghosts prefer us to drink the, the, the drink it first and then and then put the bottle in after. So they all you know, they all have a drink and they all sing um, uh, we're Richmond till we die. And they invite Ted over to participate, which is a really important moment for Ted being kind of accepted by the team. And then Ted kind of tries to get Rebecca to come over and she sort of, I think she says respectfully passes. And that's again, like we think, Oh, we're almost there. We're almost to the point where Ted and Rebecca and the entire team have really become a team, but she just kind of says no. And you see her walk away and she kind of drops her coat. And I was yeah. kind of like, that's really kind of aggressive. Like, what is she is <laughs> a is that if that's her coat, does she just not even care? Is she so angry at the fact that the team has really come together under Ted's leadership or or is she just torn up inside? Like she doesn't know what she's feeling. It's a really interesting scene because Ted Ted sees her kind of looks over his shoulder and sees her walk away. Uh, dropping her coat. But it's it, I'm not quite sure how to take her dropping of the coat in that scene. Like it was very deliberate. Like it didn't, she didn't need to was. do that. Right. Well, and, and her wardrobe reminded me a little bit of like Cruella DeVille, that yeah. long coat that's she's not wearing. She's just kind of letting it hang over her body. That's true. So dropping it, I think was an aggressive way to show, okay, the gloves are off. In yeah. this case, the coat is off and you know, we, we see what happens next, but before we move to that last scene, I wanted to point out, uh, you pointed out some great things. I wanted to kind of hit on some things that I picked up on. First of all, we see that there's this great reference that Higgins makes to a British Olympian when he refers to Danny Rojas being ready to come out. He goes, Eddie the Eagle has landed. <laughs> so another great kind of British reference yeah. to the the Olympian there. And then after everything happens, 
Jamie's making amends and he calls him Rojas. I think he mispronounces his name, Rojas. Or Ro- yeah. yeah, Rojas. And then we see, as you mentioned, while the team is bonding, the reveal that Danny was actually cleared to play earlier that day, even before the, probably before the meeting or before the, definitely before the treatment room right. scene. And that was something that Ted attributed to Higgins, gave credit to Higgins for keeping that a secret. Right. And Rebecca gives him this look like, really? Yeah. Well, wasn't that nice? Like Higgins has turned. Yeah. In her, in her eyes, he's turned. Mm-hmm. And so she's slowly losing ground. She's slowly losing this uh, momentum of trying to sabotage. And so there was this, that ice cold moment where she walks inside the stadium stands where the office is, the clubhouse with her coat off that shifts us to the next day. And this is one of the first times I think that we really get Ted upset at Rebecca. I agree. Yeah. This so is... opposite of what, of what he is normally used to. And I think it makes him uncomfortable. He even apologizes, but he's mad. Like he is like, what you've traded Jamie. No, I've sent him back. I mean, she, it's almost like she's playing the technically I didn't trade him. Right. Manchester, you know, Manchester city recalled him because you weren't playing him. It was like, I was going to, and he is just livid. And I think this creates probably a real change in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And while the moment with her and him ends with him giving her biscuits and saying, and I hope they're not as good as they usually are. Oh, but dang it, they're the best batch yet. I finally cracked the recipe. Yeah. It, again, it's, it's such a great kind of balance of like, you can tell he's really mad, but you're also laughing at the end of the scene. because yeah. He's just frustrated. Yeah. And I thought that's, that's going to be really interesting going forward in how their relationship, because I think that's the first time that he feels like his trust has been violated with her. Like he feels like, oh, wow, somebody has somewhat betrayed me. Yeah. And, and I'm, I don't know how to take that. Yeah. So two questions for you. One, do you think she made the choice to accept that offer to return him before the curse removal ceremony? Because that was at midnight. So and this was like this is the following morning, let's say nine AM. I don't know what time they they all get to work, you know, get to practice. But it's very unlikely that she was able to make that happen in between midnight and, you know, the beginning of the workday the next morning. So it makes me think that she may have made that choice or accepted the offer to return him sometime prior to the the, the tavern scene. I I think logistically what you're saying makes sense that would she have time to do all that but i think her reaction and then her aggressive exit Mm -hmm. probably points to the fact that she hadn't made a decision yet and i think that confirmed that okay well we've definitely moved on he's probably going to play jamie jamie's kind of Mm -hmm. turning himself around so if i were to write that off as like her doing something at midnight the fact is Managers are going to manage. Your owners are going to own, and she, she probably just sends a quick yeah, email to the her owner of Manchester and... City saying, "Yep, confirmed." Yeah, and so then we find out the next day, and that could be well. No, it wouldn't be that afternoon because biscuits with the boss happens in the morning. But yeah, so yeah, I, I think she had. I don't think she had already made that decision. I think she needed to something, get to this point. Pushed her, and and the, mm-hmm. the curse fire. Maybe that was the moment that just kind of. Maybe she had an email, you know, in her drafts folder that she wasn't she hadn't sent yet she yeah was like trying she was on the fence and this was like the little nudge she needed to just be like I, you know i'm i'm getting rid of him and yeah. uh and i don't care 
you know what the consequences are because she kind mm-hmm. of, it, again she's kind of bouncing back and forth right now between caring for the team and kind of seeing that the team is coming together and sort of appreciating that but also still not wanting to give up on her on her diabolical plan <laughs> so but it feels less yes and, yeah and, and as much as that decision was harsh cruel cruella no yes, <laughs> yeah. if it was just maybe that's why i think she looks like cruella because yeah. she was cruel in what she did as much as that was a harsh move on her part, I really think she has lessened her desire to eventually take Rupert down or make him mad. And I say that because it's not just being worn down by Ted. It's also this building relationship with Keely yep. and this mentoring role that she's kind of taken on with her, maybe unintentionally, but even the small scene with Sam. Yeah. validating who she is. I really think that she's now finding that she is, as she alluded to a couple episodes before, she's not alone. Right. Like she is genuinely cared for by so many people for different reasons. They're not feeling sorry for her. Sam invites her to the bonfire or to the decursing (laughs) because she is a member of the team. Right. Healy reaches out to her and asks her how she's doing and, offers herself as a friend because she genuinely cares about Rebecca and her well-being and because Rebecca has shown that for her. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Ted and what he's trying to do. And so I think that each episode, a little bit more of that anger and frustration, it's lessening. So I think for us, and I say this for myself, because I feel that watching her do what she did, it is a harsh blow because I'm like, oh, why did you do that? But that's what we, that's what we get. We have Rebecca who's still holding on to that. And it's almost like someone who is trying not to cry, but eventually will. And they're just going to let themselves go. And I think she's just holding on to the last bit of grief and grudgery that she's ironically more alone in that than she was at the beginning of the season. You know, Higgins was her right hand man. I don't know if anybody else was with her in this. Higgins was probably the only one that was in the working with her, but I, and I'm not going to call him the crux, but I would say that when he is revealed as being the one who held that secret about Danny, the look that she gives him, I think for her, that was the trigger. That was the straw that broke the camel's back that she said, okay, I'm on my own in this, but ironically, she's not on her own in everything else and the things that are good. So watching this play out, it was heartbreaking, but I'm feeling more optimistic about her as an individual as we're getting into the back half of the season. Yeah, I agree. And my other question about this final scene for you, is this the first time that Ted reveals that he's been baking the biscuits for her every morning? Like, does she find out through this confrontation? And obviously she doesn't really, we don't see her reaction to that, but you know, in earlier episodes, Higgins was trying to find where he's, you know where these biscuits are coming from and i think this is the first time where he kind of lets it slip that no this is my best batch yet and so that i think you're right so, yeah. i think i think so that yeah because up to this point i think she's given up on right at that point she's, she's just given, enjoying she's, them she's, yeah she's yeah kind of, it, it almost, maybe that'll have some repercussions i know, I know. exactly <laughs> Yeah, you can't get rid of Ted Lasso if you if you love if you want you want to keep getting those biscuits every I mean, morning. You gotta keep him on. <laughs> might be throwing that in the trash can to, to burn exactly. your biscuits. <laughs> yep. 
And so the episode ends with this great little coda mm-hmm. with Danny leaning into the office and he goes, coach, football is life. Mm-hmm. What did you make of that? I, yeah, I think it almost has a different meaning here. It, it, it's almost kind of like things happen. Life happens, right? And in life, good things happen and bad things happen. So he's using football to sort of as like a metaphor almost that, yeah, in football, good things will happen and bad things will happen. And maybe this was not a great thing that we lost Jamie, but there might be another great thing around the corner that will make football great again for you. And it's uh, that's kind of how I took it. It's just because it was coming from from Danny Rojas and, and he's been saying it throughout the episode, but it almost every time he says it has a different a different meaning because of the context of when he's saying it or why he's saying it. Yeah. I I think that's spot on um, what you're saying with regard to that. And it's, it's a really nice way to finish off the episode leaves us with that Ted esque optimism leading into what will hopefully be another good episode. Yeah. He, he does take um, the very last thing we see Ted do is he kind of slowly walks over and removes uh, Tart's number nine jersey hanging in his locker and just kind of takes it away. And it, it ends, even though it's a very sort of sad moment for Ted and for the, I guess, you know, for Jamie too, it, it, as we've just started to get to know him and feel a little, you know, sympathy for him. Now they're, you know, he's being taken away from us, but it kind of ends in an upbeat way. Like this is a, the music also adds to that. It's sort of a, a very uplifting ending where you kind of feel like, okay, no, this is like a new chapter for the team now. And yes, something change is happening, but maybe it's not a bad thing, right? Maybe it's going to get even better now. So I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I really felt even though it's a, uh, a negative thing happening, I kind of ended this episode with a smile on my face. I'm not, quite sure why it's just that's the interesting element of this show is that it, it it has this remarkable way of making you feel big feelings and laugh at the same time yeah I, I think for me I had that same reaction and I started thinking about the beginning of the episode where Ted is putting the ring into that box and he's sort of making a conscious decision to recognize that his marriage is ending hasn't ended yet because we don't see divorce papers in this episode but right it is coming to an end. And so watching how he throws himself into his work, how he helps to get the team to reverse the curse or uh, decurse the, the, the treatment room, I think for him was a lethargic kind of exercise. So even though we lose Jamie, maybe that was what he gave up. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate about maybe he threw Jamie into the trash can, but I think watching how he accepts the fact that things get lost or that things have to go away, i.e. his marriage. Yeah. This to me feels a little bit like it's an exercise in accepting that knowing that new things can happen. I don't think there's a direct connection that, okay, we lost Jamie, but now we got Danny. They're both the same person. No, they're not. Clearly we have two scenes where, there's definitely similarities and contrast, but it's just new yeah. and it's a different, it's a different locker room now, not only because Jamie's gone and Danny has shown up, but because the curse has been lifted, the team is more together as a unit, as opposed to all these individuals. 
does it mean they're going to win all these next games? I don't know, maybe, right. but I think Ted has a foundation to be able to really coach, to teach, to mentor without a lot of blocks at this point. Yeah, I agree. But I do secretly hope we haven't seen the last of Jamie because I really like him. <laughs> Me too. As a character, I think he's really fascinating and I want to see where he goes as well. So hopefully we'll we'll get some more Jamie Tart in the future. Well, he goes to Man City. That's what we yeah. know. Well, we know he's going <laughs> I know there. What you mean. No. I hope hopefully we'll get to see some of him at I mean it makes sense that they might end up at some point playing man city so yeah there, there could be some drama that unfolds on that i don't think he's i don't think he's left our lives yeah, just yet, not yet. <laughs> well that's going to wrap up this episode of an original series adam what's coming up next next up we have episode seven which is entitled make rebecca great again and that sounds <laughs> like we've been talking about rebecca a lot in this episode yeah. so it makes perfect sense that we might be getting to maybe some type of turning point in her arc and her character and maybe this will be it do you think making her action figure arms bigger makes her great again oh, makes no, her no. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes from am i right in that it, it comes from the make america great again is that's what they're playing yes. off of right i'm assuming yeah, yeah. former president trump's yeah. slogan make america great again right. which again yeah. i don't know if if people in, in England would, would, would catch that or not, if they follow American politics enough to know. <laughs> but that's, again, what we were saying, the, the interesting balance that they strike of, of you know, balancing American culture and, and British culture and, and sharing mm-hmm. uh, bits and pieces of both. Well, thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation once again, everyone. I'm Patch, he's Adam, and we are out of here. 